The host of CBS TV's long-running reality travel show, The Amazing Race, has some pretty remarkable exploits of his own under his belt. After Phil Cogan nearly drowned at age 19, he decided to make a life list of adventures he hoped to experience. Beyond The Amazing Race, Phil also hosted a TV series called No Opportunity Wasted, and that's also the name of a book he's co-authored with Warren Berger. In it, he outlines how to create a list for the life you want, and he encourages us to face our fears, to go ahead and get lost, test our limits, and shed our inhibitions. Phil, that sounds like a pretty good way to travel to me. Thanks for being with us again here on Travel with Rick Steves. Thanks for having me on. Tell us about this near-death experience you had at age 19 and how that led you to this book and TV show called No Opportunity Wasted. Well, I first got involved in working in television when I was 18 and was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work in front of a camera when I was 19. And it was during the first show that I ever hosted that I had this near-death experience uh, about 120 feet down inside a shipwreck that was uh, in the Marlborough Sounds in New Zealand. And I guess when you're 19, you really don't think of dying. You think you're going to live forever. I certainly never considered the idea that I would die and I found myself separated from my dive buddy in a, in a shipwreck. The shipwreck was uh, on its starboard side. I was completely disorientated. I was in a big uh, bowl room area inside the ship. I had no idea where up and down was. I had no idea how to get out. And it was the first time in my life being you know isolated there that I really realized that I could die. So you you were alone, it was murky, it was silent, and you were realizing you might this might be your last moment on Earth right there. Yeah, what happened was we were going down to meet a, a film crew. The, the film crew was coming in from another entrance, so we didn't stir up all the silt. And my dive buddy and I were going in to the ballroom to meet them from another entrance. And there was quite a strong current going through the ship. And again, with the, the ship being on its starboard side, you, you're completely disorientated. And I didn't know any better in terms of having a, a line connected to the outside in case I did get separated from my dive buddy or I didn't know my way out. And we had talked before we did the dive that we would be turning off our lights to save the battery power. So, And I'm terribly claustrophobic, but of course, being 19, I didn't say anything because I felt like I had to be a man and just face up to it. So uh, we're down there with our lights off in the dark. And um, after waiting a few minutes, we don't see the crew. So he flicks on his light. And he holds it under his face a little bit like, you know, at Halloween where you hold the light underneath your face to look scary and disappeared. And I suddenly found myself in the dark underwater in this shipwreck and basically freaked out. I, I, I didn't know why it left me. I didn't understand. I didn't know where I was. Mm. I was overcome with claustrophobia. And in my efforts to find my own light to turn it on, I stirred up all the silt around me. And by the time I got the light on, it was hitting all the particles in the water. I'd completely stirred up every, <laughs> oh, wow. every little particle in the water around me, and I had no idea where I was. I'd let go of the table that I was holding on to, so I knew that I wasn't where he left me. The current was sort of moving me, and um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to look for the exit. And we're talking about a shipwreck that's as big as, if you remember, the love boat. You know, it's a 40,000-ton shipwreck. So, And I knew people had died on that ship before. They got caught in the current and been separated and died. And I'm 120 feet down, so I'm breathing so fast that I'm actually beating the valve on the regulator and sucking in water. 
and it was a major panic. He ended up coming back and got me out of there, and obviously I got through the experience, but that led me to think, okay, (laughs) now it's time to write down all the things I want to do before I die, and Mm. that's my list of things to do before I die that I then called No Opportunity Wasted, or now, N-O-W for short, and I decided right there and then at 19, I would use that list as the catalyst or life contract to make sure that I lived life to the fullest. So that made you prematurely wise, you could say. I mean, I I enjoyed reading in your book how you you thought of, uh, as a 19-year-old might, the silly uh, headline, Man Drowns in Shipwreck Two Years Later. Yeah, yeah, really, it was a wake-up call. It was, okay, this is not a dress rehearsal. You could die, and just because you're 19 doesn't mean that you can't die. Life is short. Live it. Get out there and do all the things you want to do. And in, in a way, I feel blessed that it happened because it really made me think, well, if I could turn this list, all the things that I've identified that I really want to do, if I could turn that list into my career, then that would be the ultimate life. I'd be getting paid to do the things I want to do. So I set about creating television shows from a very early age. I sold my first television show when I was 22 and traveled around the world doing pieces about thrill seekers. I was obsessed with this whole idea of getting that feeling back. The feeling that I got being alive after getting through this experience, I thought that that's what I needed to strive for, that I needed to go after that again. It was almost like an addictive uh, feeling that I, I thought, well, if I risk life and limb and I come through the other side, then I will experience this high, the high that I felt when I knew I was alive after the shipwreck. Um, obviously, maturity is, uh, has taught me that that's really not such a great idea because there's a pretty good chance that you could die. And I also realized with maturity that what I was looking for was not the feeling of risking life and limb, but really about experiencing new and different things. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Phil Kogan, and Phil's well-known as the host and the co-producer of The Amazing Race. I understand, Phil, you were considered as the host of Survivor, and you ended up being the host of The Amazing Race. Has that been a better fit for you, do you think? I think so. Um... The television world was very different when I was up for Survivor. I'm a New Zealander. My accent has uh, changed a little bit, but I've spent my life living around the world, and so my accent is pretty mixed up. But when I was going for Survivor, I had a very New Zealand accent, and it was not really commonplace to have anybody with an accent on a network television show. So it was of great concern, the idea that a New Zealander would be on, uh, on a show like Survivor. There was no Nigel Lithgow. There was no, so you think you can dance? Or, you know, there was no Simon Cowell. There was no, there basically was no accent in network television. And uh, so they took quite a while to make up their mind. It was between Jeff Probst and I. He obviously got the job. And a, a few months later, I was shortlisted again for this other show called The Amazing Race. I was down to three, and then I was down to two. And then the same concerns came up again. Well, do you think you can Americanize your accent? So I ended up starting that first season having to Americanize my accent. Well, ironically now, 11 years later, I think people would probably, you know, wouldn't mind the New Zealand accent, but I can't really change it, and I've spent (laughs) so much time over the years changing it. (laughs) You know, Phil, in your book, No Opportunity Wasted, I love the sidebar where you just list, oh, the things I've done. And this is sort of an inspiration to me, and I would imagine to a lot of our listeners Give us just a quick um, report on each of these experiences as I go through them, if you don't mind. Played speed golf in the deadly Australian outback. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I went to a really fascinating place called Kuba Pedi in the outback of Australia. And I spent some time with, a, uh, with an opal miner. That's the opal capital of the world. And after spending some time with him, he said, oh, do you want to come and play golf? And I said, sure. And he said, well, we play speed golf here because it's so hot. We haven't got time to be walking around the golf course for too long. So we just get it over and done with as fast as we possibly can. There was actually no grass on the golf course. So you take your own little piece of grass. It's a piece of AstroTurf. And wherever you find your ball, you put it on the AstroTurf and then you hit it. I actually ended up suggesting that as a challenge for the amazing race. We went back in season two. And we went into the Opal Mines, and uh, we had the teams play speed golf. <laughs> ah, I was going to ask if any of your, uh, you know, No Opportunity Wasted has impacted your choice of uh, challenges on The Amazing Race. It, this is really a fun list. Renewed your wedding vows underwater with a scuba diving priest and a dolphin in attendance. Yeah, yeah well, after being married for five years, I really wanted to do something different. So I went in search of a scuba diving priest kind of difficult to find, actually. Um, but anyway, found one. Could you hear each other? How, how did you communicate under, underwater? Well, we had comms. We had comms so we could communicate, and that's what attracted these wild dolphins because ah. they could hear us talking underwater, and they were attracted by the sounds. And my best man was a guy by the name of uh, Banana George who is a barefoot water skier, and uh, he dropped the, the rings from about uh, 50 feet to us and they came down, and my wife and I were dressed up. I had a suit on, and she had her uh, veil, and, and we renewed our vows right in front of the dolphins and the priest. Dolphins throwing rice? Uh, I wish. Okay, another point. You did change a light bulb on top of New York's 700-foot-tall Verrazano Bridge. Well, yes. For five years, I worked on a live television show, and my boss... He basically said to me, listen, I just want you to come up with stories that will get headlines that will become water cooler talk. So just think of anything and we, you know, I'll, I'll give you the resources and you can go and shoot it. So I went about doing things like jumping in the shark tank at Coney Island to clean the inside of the tank with the guy who has to actually get in the shark tank to clean the tank. And another idea came to me once when I was sitting having a beer down at Battery Park and I looked up at the flashing light on top of the Verrazano Bridge and I thought, well... Who changes the light bulb up there? Somebody's got to change it. So Monday morning, I was up there with a guy, and um, we never actually got to change the light bulb because it was live TV, and the cameraman, who was a big 270-pound guy, played football, freaked out. He was going down the cable. You know, we're 700 feet above the, above the bridge there, and as we were making our way down the cable, this big, burly, 270-pound football-playing cameraman uh, freaked out. And so I used to be a cameraman. That was my first job before when I first started in television. So I ended up grabbing the camera off his shoulder and shooting the story about how he was freaking out. <laughs> We're talking with Phil Kogan. He's the host of The Amazing Race, and he's written a book called No Opportunity Wasted, talking about he was inspired by a near-death experience to make sure we embrace life. And on Phil's list of, oh, the things I've done, ski behind a reindeer at 30 miles an hour. Yeah, I always thought it would be cool if you were ever in a pub and the conversation died down, you could say, hey, would you like to see my reindeer racing license? And I could just pull it out of my wallet and say, here you go. <laughs> Reindeers actually run 30 miles an hour and they can pull a human on skis? Yes, and they kill people too because you're going through trees a lot of times. And so yeah. sometimes they accidentally pull you into a tree and that's it. Where was that, Phil? Uh, that was actually in Finland, uh, just out of Kemi. And I could put that on my list. I want to ski behind a reindeer. Okay, slept in a tree in the Costa Rican jungle. Yes, uh, in the Los Angeles cloud forest, we were swinging through the trees, and um, we just thought, how cool would it be to wake up in the middle of the jungle and uh, have fresh Costa Rican coffee delivered to us? So that's what we set up. 
Was that with zip lining? Yeah. And they've got those little, they're like the floor of a treehouse up there at the, where the zip lines hit the tree, and you're just yeah. surrounded in an, it's an otherworldly experience. Great idea. About 70 feet up on a little platform, hmm. uh, barely enough room to lie down, but uh, extraordinary to wake up to the sounds of the jungle. In a nice cup of Costa Rican coffee. Oh, yeah. White water rafted the Jordan River of Israel. You know, that was, uh, we'd just come down from Masada. We had a little bathe in the Dead Sea, and uh, we thought, wow, it'd be kind of cool to just say we went whitewater rafting down the Jordan River. It wasn't much whitewater, but we were able to tick it off the list. But bobbing in the Dead Sea, now that's fun. Did you actually read a newspaper? I, I was amazed at how buoyant you can be uh, relaxing in the Dead Sea. Yeah, the, the, you know, it's just a classic shot, you know, that... Arms and feet mud, all you know. out of the water at the same time. And, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. But if you have a single little scratch, it can be pretty painful. Oh, yeah, it stings like crazy. <laughs> Won a cow patty throwing competition. What, tossing a cow patty 174 feet? Yeah, 53 meters. I believe that's what it works out to. And um, Who caught it? Uh, oh, nobody caught it. But it was frozen. It was, oh, okay. it was in the middle of winter, so thankfully it was a frozen piece. Frozen cow patty chucking. And where, yeah. where, where was that? That was in Queenstown, the adventure capital of the world, and uh, in New Zealand. Was spiritually cleansed by a witch doctor in Asia's Golden Triangle. Uh, took a motorbike for uh, a show that I did called Phil Kogan's Adventure Crazy, and uh, went up into the Golden Triangle, and we stayed with a family. This woman cooked the most extraordinary meal with a machete. Uh, one machete, that was it. That was all she had. And uh, we went and found the the man with the world's longest hair, and we ended up in an opium den. (laughs) Uh, We had no idea what the smoke was until we realized that we didn't realize that we were in an opium den, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) How long was his hair? 18 feet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was in the Guinness Book of World Records. Found out about him. We had to go hunt him out. It, It took us a couple days to find him. And then hunted a giant rat in a Venezuelan rainforest. Yeah, Capivara. I, I thought it would be kind of cool to live with a tribe uh, just uh, near where the Tepius Mountains are in Venezuela. And so we got a dugout canoe, went up river, and we just randomly found a, a, a tribe of people living there and asked if we could stay there and basically just live like they did for a few days. So it was a very unique experience. <laughs> and, you know, you seem like quite a romantic guy. I mean, your wife probably thinks, what's Phil going to come up with next? But on one of your lists, you've got have a gourmet romantic dinner with your wife, Louise, on top of an erupting volcano, Stromboli. Have you done that yet? Yeah, it didn't end up being uh, with my wife. Oh, no. Yeah, well, I've always been fascinated with Stromboli, which is in the Aeolian Sea, and where Isabella Rossellini was born. And I I have always wanted to go there. I saw it in National Geographic magazine when I was a kid. I had it on my list. And and I thought if I'm going to go there, I don't want to just do it in an ordinary way. I want to do it in an extraordinary way. So I managed to convince a chef who was almost 300 pounds to take everything we needed to cook a five-star dinner on top of the volcano, time it with the sun setting. So he was picking up fresh oregano and fresh herbs and everything as we went up. He dug a hole in the volcano when we got to the top and cooked a dinner. We had our dinner suits with us. We had helmets because there was flying debris. We took great bottles of wine, beautiful balsamic vinegar, and we cooked the scoffino fish, which is the indigenous fish of the area, up on the volcano. And then after a polishing off a few bottles of wine, we got water skis, and we actually skied 3,000 feet from the top of the volcano under moonlight down to the bottom. Good for uh, Down you. the volcanic ash. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Now, these are the little tiny islands just north of Sicily, right? Yes, Aeolian Islands. Uh, if you remember that film, El Postino, they shot uh, there. Yeah, beautiful spot. Yeah. I'm curious, 
on your Amazing Race uh, as you're hosting, you always have a pendant around your neck. What's the story with that? When I first left New Zealand to come overseas to work in television in America, I was given my first Maori fishhook, and it was made out of greenstone. The idea with greenstone is that you shouldn't buy it for yourself. It's something that somebody gives to you. This is a Maori hook. Maori, yeah, Maori fishhook. Meaning the indigenous people in New Zealand. The indigenous people in New Zealand, exactly. And the woman who gave it to me was Moana Maniapoto Jackson, who I had hosted a show with. And people wear this as a way to protect themselves when they're overseas, when they travel overseas or over water. It's really what it symbolizes. And so that was in 1992, and I have continued wearing a Maori fishhook around my neck ever since. And uh, it's actually based on the original practical Maori fishhook that was used to catch fish. So I, uh, I've worn it on Amazing Race ever since, and I, I uh, have had all different types, and people have sent them to me from around the world. I have quite a collection. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Phil Kogan, and we're talking about no opportunity wasted. And if you've had a near-death experience like he had at 19, you get this vivid understanding that you've got to embrace life or it's going to pass you by. Phil Kogan, you are an inspiration for all of us travelers, whether we're on your amazing race or whether we're on our own amazing race. Thanks so much and best wishes in all you're doing. Thank you so much. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours all over Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from three dozen exciting itineraries covering the best of Europe from Ireland to Istanbul, Paris to St. Petersburg, and practically everywhere in between. For a free catalogue and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com. <laughs>